Ron said that because first service he said, please be seated, and I wanted to sit down, and he said, no, not you, so I, that's why I clarify that. Good morning. It's a, it's a wonderful to be with you again. Uh, my name's Jeff Borden. My, my family's here, my wife Patty and Matthew and Lydia, and uh, it's good to have them. Our oldest son, Daniel, is in Harrisonburg, Virginia. He's not with us, but I just want to take this opportunity to, to thank the church for their partnership. Uh, with our ministry over 20 years now, Ron, you were right, uh, I think 1992. And uh, so uh, we've had a relationship with this church for, so, for that long. In fact, even longer, I first came to Grace Covenant in 89 um, and visited here. I think when uh, Bob Hopper was on holiday or something and then I was on a committee that was helping with Grace Covenant at that time. So uh, it's been a long time that we've been here. In fact, um, speaking of Bob Hopper, uh, the sermon I want to bring to you today is actually related to something that uh, Bob Hopper shared. I think when he left in 96, if my years are right, it's 96, is that right? Um, his last sermon was how to treat your next pastor, that is senior pastor. Um, I, want to, I want to speak to you today on how to think about your next senior pastor, okay? Slightly different, but related. How to think about your next pastor. And I'd like to do that from uh, Ephesians 4. In fact, uh, Camper and, and I had discussed this, and the last time he was here, I just mentioned something about, I think it was the last time or time before, I just mentioned something in the sermon, very much in passing, on equipping the saints for ministry from Ephesians 4. And Camper actually asked me to, uh, to speak on that when I came back. So we decided to to do that this time. So please turn with me to Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. And we thought this would, we being Camper and I, we thought this would lay a good foundation. And uh, so I'd like to suggest this passage uh, concerns the issue of how to think about your next senior pastor. How do you view the person coming in? And I'd like to address that from, from the scriptures. And also like to address, I asked Ron if it would be okay to to slide something in here on what we're doing uh, in Africa. And, uh, and I would like to relate that to this passage as well. But let me read the passage first, and then I'll tell you about the part that I want to relate to, to what we're doing. So Ephesians 4, uh, we'll be focusing on verses 11 through 12. But for the wider context, let's, take, let's read uh, verses 7 through 16 in Ephesians 4. I think it's appropriate that we stand for the reading of God's word. Shall we stand if we're able? And, uh, <clears throat> and hear God's word. But to each one of us, grace was given. We're going to talk a lot about that word. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended, far above the heavens, that he might fill all things." And, and he gave, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, 
some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature or literally to a perfect, complete man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Before you sit down, let me just uh, say a brief prayer again for us. Father, we thank you for this true time of fellowship of koinonia in and around your holy word. Lord, would your spirit be with us and bless our time and drive your word into our hearts and help us to apply it in the way that you would have us to do for each of us as individuals, yet as part of your great body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I'd like to just say a word about what we're doing first. As I said, I've asked Ron about that, and he said that was fine. Um, in verses 14, it talks about tossed here and there and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And I was here last year and did a Sunday school, and I'd just like to share a, a few highlights from that. In the African church, what we have is, by and large, a church that has been swept away by a false gospel that we call in the States the prosperity gospel or the so-called health and wealth gospel. When I was sharing this this morning, Ben Robertson was over there by Ron going like this, and then he got up and he said, well, we have that too here. And I said, yeah, we have it too here, but in, in, in our African context, it's not just there, it's epidemic. I would estimate that 80 to 90% of the pastors that we try to train in our study center, and that's what we do as Mintz, Mintz International Seminary, we set up study centers for the training of church leaders. And I would estimate that 80 or 90% of those that come to us are coming from a background of the prosperity gospel where they've been led astray by the West, by the way, where it started to a different gospel. And Paul calls other gospels in Galatians 1 a different gospel or a false gospel. And what's the answer to that in verse 15? The answer is, the contrast is, but speaking the truth in love. How do we answer that? Uh, there aren't any tricks and there aren't any gimmicks. There aren't five steps to revitalization and this and that and the other. Uh, and I don't want to sound overly simplistic, but I really believe this. The answer is, for many of these leaders, they literally have never, ever been in the scriptures. Most of them have no training. Most African pastors are self-appointed. Most of them want titles, and we're going to talk about titles when we get to verse 11. And uh, frankly... Most of them are in church work, if you can believe it, to make money. Now, now in the States, most pastors were, will tell you that they tend to be 
underpaid or a little bit under the average salary. I'm not sure about everywhere, but uh, in, in America, being a pastor isn't noted as being a high-salaried position, and that's fine. I'm not arguing for that. But in Africa, many churches are coming up today as, a, as an avenue for a leader to take money from people. Uh, in other words, they're fleecing the flock instead of feeding the flock. And this is really a, an, an epidemic. It really is. It's a commercialization of the church and a commercialization of the gospel. And that's where the average person is coming from that comes to us in training. So what do you do with that? Do you immediately attack, attack the prosperity gospel? We find if we do that, we lose them. Uh, and I think the answer from verse 15, I don't think I know, the answer is speaking the truth in love. So what we do is we start with basic Bible and theological teaching, and we get them into the scriptures. And for some of them, it's the first time they're in the word. And we begin to go through the word, verse by verse, word, word for word, and begin to feed them. And for some of them, it's the first time they've ever tasted what you take for granted. Bible study, uh, you hear the word of God preached. That doesn't happen very much in the context where I work. And uh, we're just getting them into the word. And we're finding that the power of the word begins to change lives. And thank you for that. And we appreciate your, your prayers for the continuation of that. But for our part today, as I said, I want to talk to you about how to think about your next senior pastor. And what I mean by that is that in the American context historically, we have viewed ministry as something that's done by the pastor. And churches have viewed uh, hiring a senior pastor as hiring someone to do the ministry. After all, we say that's what they're getting paid to do, right? No, wrong. Uh, are we hiring a person, are we calling a senior pastor to do the ministry of this church? Or is God giving a senior pastor to this church to equip the members of this church for ministry? The first view is more cultural. The second view, I would submit to you, is biblical. And let's look and see what this says, particularly focusing on verses 11 and 12. But before we do that, I want to encourage you personally, and I do mean personally, each one of you, Look at the language. In fact, Paul says each one of us. That's the biblical language in verse 7. And I want to ask, do we believe this? But to each one of us. Now, who's Paul talking to? A, a church, or more precisely, probably a number of churches in and around Ephesus. And he says very clearly, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this just isn't talking about salvation because he says in verse 12, equipping the saints for ministry. This is talking about a giftedness for service. Ministry is service, all right? So I want to encourage each of you that each one of you has received grace, if you know the Lord. Not just a grace of salvation, but grace in terms of a giftedness. 1 Corinthians 12 isn't that what the scripture teaches? How many people in 1 Corinthians 12 in the language, it talks about the whole body of Christ. How many, how many Christians have one or more spiritual gifts? You can answer during my sermons because I'm a teacher. I've told you this before, not a preacher. How many Christians 
have spiritual gifts. Thank you. You're, very, you're doing very well at that. Usually I have to pull a little more. Thank you. All believers have spiritual gifts. Is that not so? And in the language of Ephesians 4, Paul's saying that that's a result of, Christ, of Christ's gra the grace of Christ. And, you know, we usually tie grace to salvation, don't we? And let us not ever stop doing that. By grace, you are saved through faith. That's chapter 2. In chapter 4 here, this grace is not tied to salvation. It's tied to service. And we're real strong on grace and salvation, but are we as biblically strong on grace for service? I'm not sure we are. It's a both and. It's not an either or. I would suggest let's be as strong on grace for service as we are on grace for salvation because they're both true and they're both even found here in the same book. And I say that to encourage you because I think it's easy to think, oh, we're, we're good at comparing one another, aren't we? We're all guilty of that, aren't we? And we, say, we tend to think, well, God wants to use so-and-so, but he doesn't want to use me. No, that's not the case, is it? That's not biblical. We mustn't let the enemy say that kind of language to us. God really wants to use so-and-so, but, but not so much me. No, that's not biblical, is it? God wants to use every believer. And uh, that's an emphasis here. And at the beginning of this reading, in verse 7, each one of us is given grace. And at the end of this reading, in verse 16, did you catch this in verse 16? One of my favorite passages, uh, Phrases in this passage, according to the proper working of each individual part. Isn't that a beautiful statement? In fact, let me talk about cultures for a minute here before we dive in further. American culture has historically emphasized the individual or the community. What are we noted for? We call it rugged, rugged individualism, what I call John, John Wayne Christianity. You know, that's, that's America, isn't it? Riding off into the sunset, conquering with our pistols there, and I can do this, and thank you very much. I can do it by myself. I don't need the body. That's where American Christianity has been, isn't it? African Christianity has been on the other extreme. Uh, in Africa Christianity, just as we have the overemphasis on the individual, sometimes to ne the neglect of the body, they have the overemphasis on the community, and such, to such an extent that sometimes the worth of the, and the value of the individual is greatly un, unappreciated. For example, we lived in Zimbabwe uh, when we first went to Africa. And, when we, and African culture has these elaborate funeral ceremonies and elaborate beliefs about funerals because they believe that ancestral spirits control day-to-day -day life. And in Zimbabwean culture... If a, per, if a man or a woman dies, they have to, the body has to be very well taken care of because this, this spirit now is going to control your life. That's what they believe. So the adult body is very well taken care of, and the body has to sleep in the home the first night. No funeral homes. The body has to sleep in the home the first night, like in the living room, in a very prominent place, and the body has to be buried the next day. But if a child dies in Zimbabwe, they get no respect. They're buried the same day. 
And you see behind that is a devaluation of children, but a devaluation of the individual as well. And uh, so American culture is, goes to one extreme. African culture tends to go to the other extreme. What I love about this passage is there's always a beautiful balance between the individual and the body, right? Like verse 16, from whom the whole body, but what about the whole body? The whole body's made up of individuals, right? That are fitted and held together. So I say that to encourage you. There's no insignificant member in the body of Christ. Do you believe that? Yes, do you? There's no insignificant member in the body of Christ. And that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 12, right? This part of the body can't say to this part of the body, I don't need you. Right? That's the whole point. So I want to I say that to you in terms of, of motivation to uh, heed this portion of God's word. Because every member of the body is significant. Every member of the body is needed. Every member of the body has a contribution to make. Peter calls us living stones, doesn't he? Christ is the living stone, and he says, you also as living stones. Every stone is part of that building, and every stone is therefore important. You don't go up to a stone house and say, you know, those couple of stones, aren't, they're not really needed. No, if they're not needed, they wouldn't be there, right? So this is very important that we all understand. We have a significant contribution to make to the body, right? Now you say, how are you relating all that to this? Because that's going to come out when we think about, how do I think about a new senior pastor? What's their role? What's their job biblically? Okay? But before we get to that, I want you to also look at the end of verse 8 and then uh, go right through. Verses 9 and 10 are, are parentheses. Even in my Bible, they have parentheses around them. And I want you to look at verses, the end of verse 8 and then go right into verse 11. The end of verse 8 says, And he gave gifts to men. And verse 11 begins, And he gave some as. Do you see the continuation of the thought? He gave gifts to men, and he gave some as. Well, what's going on there? He's beginning to tell you what those gifts are. Now, this isn't an exhaustive uh, we have to go to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4, and we have to put all those passages together to get a whole list of gifts. But in this, pa in this passage, Paul, Paul's focusing on leadership gifts. And he gave some as what? Now, a problem we have in Africa as well is we have a church there with leaders who are very much concerned about titles. They want all these titles. I once was rebuked for calling a pastor a pastor. And he said, thank you, I'm not a pastor, I'm an apostle, thank you, or a bishop. And he rebuked me because I insulted him by calling him a pastor. Okay, this, that's a true story, by the way. Actually, I found out from someone else that I offended him by calling him a lowly pastor. I'm not a pastor, I'm a bishop. In fact, in one church, they have these uniforms and they take the first three titles here and they put APE on their, on their uh, what do I want, a robe. And the leaders have robes and ingrained and in, uh, embroidered, is that what you would say? Embroidered in the robe, they put their initials as they get these offices. And some of them have APE on their robe and that's what they wear. 
apostle, prophet, and evangelist. They're not content to just be one. They have to have them all. So this issue of titles is a big, is a big thing in Africa instead of uh, equipping and serving the body. So we deal with this a lot of time. But what about we as believers today? How do we view this issue? We don't have apostles and prophets in most evangelical churches today, do we? Do we? Why not? Well, I want to do a little bit of a Bible study with you, and I want to ask these questions. You have five terms here. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor and teacher. Most translations, if they put a definite article in, some do, like the... Uh, like the New Living Translation, or I was looking at the ESV earlier, it will say this. It will put a the in front of the first four, the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. In other words, most, most people today don't see five offices here. They see four. And that's really helpful to see four because that makes it even two and two. And if we go back in a, further in Ephesians, you want to ask the question, have we seen any of these terms in Ephesians before? In other words, remember, how was the Bible originally given? Was it given as chapters and verses? It wasn't, was it? Those were added later. The, the original manuscripts of the Bible, they didn't have verses. They didn't have chapters. They didn't even have uh, punctuation. Did you know that? The original manuscripts... No, uh, no periods, no semicolons, no question marks. In fact, the oldest ones were all capital letters. And beyond that, they didn't, do you know the oldest ones? They didn't even have spaces between the letters. Can you imagine? Just all capital letters with no spaces, no punctuation, no nothing. Now, why am I telling you all that? Because they would read and study a letter as a group. And we tend to isolate, because I like having chapters and verses, don't get me wrong, because I can say to you, let's read Ephesians 4, 7. But in that, let's not divide it up so much that we lose the flow, right? So we ask the question, in Ephesians, have we seen these terms, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, have we seen them before? And the fact is, up until this verse, chapter 4, verse 11, They've only seen, they've only heard two of these terms so far. They've only heard apostle and prophet. They have not yet heard evangelist, pastor, teacher. That's the first occurrence. So we want to ask a question then. Which offices has he meant already? Has he mentioned already? And what does he say about those? So he's only mentioned apostle and prophet. And we find that in 2.20 and in 3.5. And let's look back at chapter 2, verse 20. It says, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Notice apostle and prophet are used together. They're not separated. Then we come to chapter 3, verse 5, and we have a similar reference. And once again, apostles and prophets are used together. They're, never, they're not separated in Ephesians. They're used together. And he says in chapter 3, verse 5, it has now been revealed to us, or sorry, it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So what have we seen so far? Apostles and prophets are always used together. They're called foundational offices in the church, right? 
And in chapter 3, verse 5, they're called holy, and they're the ones through whom revelation is given, right? It has now been revealed through the holy apostles and prophets. Now, were apostles and prophets perfectly holy? Were they not sinful like all of us? Did they not need Christ like we do? Did they not need a cross and a Savior? In what sense I believe it's saying they're holy, it's that they were giving God's holy revelation. Peter says they were born along in such a way that what they gave us was the holy word of God. So apostles and prophets are those who gave us revelation, and they built the foundation. Now, when this building was built, did you keep extending the foundation to Jamestown? Or did you say, okay, the foundation's finished, now we're going to build up? That's the way you build a building, isn't it? Some builders here, you don't keep extending the foundation east to west. You set the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. And by the way, the cornerstone is the marker which determines the shape of the building. So you would have a cornerstone, and Christ is, that's saying Christ is cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first foundational stone laid. And from that stone, that determined the direction this way and the direction this way. In other words, it sets the course for the whole building. And the apostles and the revelation that comes through the apostles and prophets are the, are the that's the revelation and that's the, that's the foundation. And the foundation was finished and completed with the apostles and prophets. That's why we believe we don't have apostles and prophets today. What do we have today? We have evangelist and pastor teacher. Now, it's very interesting. If you look at the words here, evangelist is related to the word apostle because an apostle was one who was sent. That's what apostle means, one who is sent with authority. And an evangelist is a, is a synonym for a word for missionary, one who is sent, one who's sent out to proclaim and to preach. Whereas a prophet was one sent to a location. Think of the prophets of Israel. They were sent to a particular location, or Jonah was sent to Nineveh to minister in a location. So what you had is the apostles were more of a mobile gift, an office, where a prophet was more of a stationary gift, an office. Well, that's what you have with evangelist and pastor-teacher. An evangelist is one sent, though without apostolic authority, and a pastor-teacher is that local gift, though without prophetic authority. In other words, the authorities in the scripture, right? So what we have today is that, I believe, is these two offices of evangelist and pastor-teacher, and those carry on the ministry of apostle and prophet, but without giving you revelation. So the authority is not in the evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Where is it? It's in the scriptures, okay? So I hope that's helpful. And uh, I, I spent extra time on that because I think that that's a big issue for the church today uh, around the world. Why do we not have these today? Now, let's th that's the identification of leadership gifts in verse 11. But let's look at the immediate purpose of leadership gifts in verse 12. What's the purpose? If you, if you have a senior pastor come soon, and I trust you will, what, what would he be called here to do? Or more so, biblically would say, why would Christ be giving him to this local body? I think verse 12 is our answer. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. 
So let's pick that up a little bit as we talk about the purpose of these leadership gifts. First of all, equipping. What's that mean? That's a great word. Paul reached back. You remember Greece had the Olympic Games. It's where they started. And we have the Olympics coming up this year, right? August. And if a Greek would say, this person is training for the Olympic Games, they would say they're being equipped. That was the Greek word they would use. In other words, equipped in that culture meant to be prepared for, to be conditioned for competition, i.e. the Olympic Games. So for you athletes, it was an athletic metaphor. For you medical people, if there are some here, it was also a medical term. It was a term that meant to set a bone, to reset a bone. So if a bone was broken, the doctor would equip the bone. He would pull the arm or the leg to put it back in place. And why do you equip a bone? Well, you equip a bone so that the arm or the leg can work again, right? If the bone is broken, it can't function according to God's design. And I think that's a beautiful analogy of the pastoral role here. The pastoral role is to bring healing to broken bones so they function according to God's design for them. And that fits perfectly with the context here, doesn't it? Because how many believers have spiritual gifts? How many believers have a contribution to make to the body? All of them. Thank you. You're doing really, really well this morning. And uh, that's right. And the pastoral role then is what? The pastoral role is to come in and prepare, to equip, to bring healing, to set bones in place, to reset the bone, so that all those appendages of the body of Christ can function according to his design. Isn't that encouraging? And that's what the body is about. And now, what parts of the body then do ministry? That's the next thing. Equipping the saints. Well, who are saints? Is that the, the Catholic saints, Peter and Paul and St. Saint Christopher and all those? Who are the saints? One lady went, right? That's you, right? Who are the saints? NIV says to prepare. They pick up on the athletic metaphor. I think you have an NIV there. They say to prepare God's people. That's a good translation. Uh, we tend to think of the Catholic saints, but to prepare God's people for works of what? Service. And the word service and ministry are related. So it's literally the leadership is preparing, equipping God's people for works of service and works of ministry. So in this biblical sense, who does ministry? Everybody. Welcome to the ministry. I asked Ron if we could have an ordination service. Uh, can we, this morning, can we ordain everybody to ministry? Now, please don't understand. I'm not saying God has called everyone to pastoral ministry. I'm not depreciating the pastoral role. And I think you should call a senior pastor. But you're not calling a senior pastor to be your minister. That's where we mess up in our church language. Please don't, do, don't call the ordained person a minister because that brings confusion. I, I remember a church once, um, they had a sign over their door. Uh, it said, uh, pastor, whatever it be so-and-so, ministers all the members of this church. That church understood Ephesians 4.12. Who are the ministers of this body? All the members of the church. Who's the pastor? Well, camper and the senior pastor that you call. 
You see that distinction? We should view ourselves as ministers because God has gifted us and God has called him to service. So let's define ministry. What is ministry? You're doing ministry this morning. The Old Testament uses, uh, and Ben mentioned this later when he came up for communion after the first service to do communion. The Old Testament will say they were ministering unto the Lord. Have you been praising God this morning? Have you? You can say yes. Have you? Yes. That's ministry. That's an upward direction of ministry. Um, have you encouraged any, any, uh, one another in the body of Christ in the past week? Have you prayed for someone in the body? Have you visited someone in the body? I know for a fact some of you are very faithful. Go to hospital, the hospital if somebody's having surgery. You're there before they go in. You're praying for them. You might be there when they come out. Uh, people are giving rides to one another. People are visiting one another. People are calling one another on the phone. That's ministry, isn't it? Is it? I want you to be convinced. I also don't see as well as I used to. I want to make sure you're awake. All right? That's ministry. That's an inward direction of ministry. We call that edification. And that's what we have here, the building up of the body. But the body also grows, right? How does the body grow as well? It grows in quality, but it also grows in quantity. And that's the outreach part. So ministry has three directions, an upward towards the Lord, an inward towards the body, and an outward towards the world. And I submit that every believer is called to all three of those directions of ministry, right? You'll say, no, God just created me to praise him, but he didn't create me to talk to anybody else. Well, probably not. Uh, there might be a special case in that way, maybe someone who, who is uh, de uh, deaf and dumb and they can't speak, but I think for most of us, God calls us and God wants to use us in all of those directions for his glory. So that's the immediate purpose, and I want to end with my last point with what's the ultimate purpose. Uh, this is mentioned several times in, uh, in Scripture. It's mentioned at the end of verse 10, and I really like the, NL, the, New, Living, uh, the New Living Translation, not the New Living Bible. This is the New Living Translation. The New Living Bible is a paraphrase. This is an actual translation, and it says here, in verse 10, it says, And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That he might fill, Christ might, might fill the entire universe with himself. I'm reminded of Philippians 2, right? Every knee will... Uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, where? In all of heaven and all of earth. And we see that also in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to completeness, to a complete man, that's a picture of the body there, to a complete body, to the measure of the stature which belongs to what? The fullness of Christ. So in verse 11, to review, we have the identification of those leadership gifts. In verse 12, it's the purpose of the leadership gifts. But then verse 13 is the goal. What's the goal? That the glory of Jesus Christ would fill all things. That's our goal, isn't it? And it's that goal which keeps us going. 
when we worship the Lord, it's that the, it, it's that the glory of Christ would fill the universe. When we serve one another, the goal, that the glory of Christ would fill the universe. When we reach out to the lost, what's the goal? That the glory of Christ would fill that universe. That's the goal that keeps us going, isn't it? That's the motivation uh, that keeps us going. So I want to encourage all of us that we're all gifted of the Lord. We're all called by him, not only by his grace for salvation, but by his grace for service. Service upward to him, service inward to one another, and service to the lost, all for the glory of Jesus Christ, that his glory would fill all in all. Let's respond to the Lord now with a hymn, our hymn of response, and then I'll return to give the benediction. <clears throat>